Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. And now, here's your host, CEO and co-founder of Scouts, Max Hansen. Welcome back to episode 65 of the Built on Purpose podcast brought to you by Scouts. I'm your host, Max Hansen, the CEO of Scouts, where we find purpose aligned and performance proven leaders. Speaking of purpose driven leaders, today our guest is Lori Parfit, principal at LKP Impact Consulting. Lori's firm helps cannabis and consumer products companies on commercial strategy and execution. Lori is also the fractional chief experience officer of Union Cannabis Group, which owns the Dabstract brand. Lori, welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Awesome. We're excited to have you. Well, let's start out. I'm going to throw kind of a softball question to start out. Uh, Tell us, uh, where did your passion for the cannabis industry stem from? When did it start? So that's a fantastic question. It actually didn't stem from anything until I was actually in it. So it's funny, you know, having spent, you know, 15 years plus in consumer products and worked on amazing brands like Kraft Cheese and Ragu and Bertoli and even some private brands, you know, that was a lot of fun um, because those are tangible products that you see in the store. They're brands that people know about. And so you kind of get caught up in it because it's a good time. But I had never really been one of those mission-oriented people where, um, you know, there was anything really um, impactful about what I was doing. So, yes, I was feeding the world, per se, and I did some philanthropy with that, um, but nothing ever really spoke to me and really got me sort of excited about a cause. And so when I joined the cannabis industry, you know, I'd always liked cannabis and I always thought it was a great product category. And I had partaken in it when I was younger and um, had started to again, as you know, we started to see more legalization. Um, however, um, as I started in the industry, I, um, I worked for a dispensary operator And I would go to all of the dispensaries that we were operating. And as part of kind of my initial tour in the industry, and I spoke to a lot of our staff about what brought them into cannabis. And the stories I started to hear were so incredible. And I was on the medical side of cannabis at the time, uh, because all of our dispensaries were were medical dispensaries. Um, But just hearing people talk about how they'd been able to solve some of their, mitigate some of their autoimmune issues, uh, some of their pain issues, things that they'd been able to do to help epilepsy and and things like that. I, I realized I was finally in a product category where I was truly helping people live better lives. And that actually spoke to me and spoke to who I wanted to be as a person. And I would say as a professional and as a, a human, Um, I would say the industry really transformed me. Um, And I went from being kind of that professional who was all about just getting the job done and and doing great things to really being someone who who wanted to be part of something bigger than themselves and really wanted to contribute to an industry that could help people be their best and help them take back their own medical care and live life on their own terms. And I had never experienced anything like that in my life. And um, I honestly think I'm a, I'm a different person 
um, that I was prior to the industry. And I like who I am now so much better because cannabis has really opened up a whole area of my personality and, and an area of my life that I didn't, didn't even know existed. Oh, I love that answer. I love it. And I remember you and I, we, I had the uh, opportunity to talk to Lori for a brief time on the phone. It was, it was probably about a month ago now, but I loved how you talked about uh, where your passion, I remember this specifically, you're talking about how you're not necessarily, you didn't start out passionate about cannabis, but you're passionate about people. And you're seeing to, to what you've just said, you're seeing cannabis, you know, positively impact and help people live better lives. Um, which I, which I think is, uh, you know, amazing, amazing. So lo love how, how everybody has their entry point and, and love how beautiful your story is getting into uh, the cannabis industry. Tell me about uh, your past experience. Obviously you've had a really successful career. You mentioned some of the uh, different types of companies and products that you've worked for, but really uh, successful experience in consumer products. How has that background really helped you to jump kind of headfirst in the cannabis industry, uh, you know, given your background. Absolutely. So, um, you know, 15 years of consumer products, and I have been really fortunate in my career um, that nobody's made me do the same job twice. And so, um, you know, having grown up in big CPG, so for like the crafts of the world, Beam Suntory, all of those big companies, usually you start out in a vertical meaning like you're in finance. And so you stay in finance for the rest of your career. You're in marketing, you stay in marketing for the rest of your career. I got really lucky that I found leaders who were willing to give me opportunities to move around. So I started my career in finance, then I got transitioned to sales and category management and sales strategy. And then I spent some time in operations and in marketing. And so I got to really see the entire business um, and had a really holistic view of how that all comes together, which I have found was really helpful for me in CPG, especially because, you know, especially in those big siloed organizations, um, I would find that, you know, a functional area would make a decision and they wouldn't necessarily consider how that would affect other functional areas. But because I'd worked in them all, I was able to, to do that. And so that was really helpful for me. In terms of transitioning in the cannabis, it was helpful because I know how to commercialize a product. I know how to bring things to retail. I know how to market effectively. I understand, you know, all the logistics that go in go into getting a, a product from from manufacturing to a consumer's hands. Um, the the real area where I found it was truly helpful for me um, from consumer products into cannabis was really developing sales strategy. Um, a lot of the things we see in cannabis, we know it's the new consumer product. We know that it's becoming, you know, it's, it's coming out of prohibition much like beverage alcohol did, but it's a completely different animal. And a lot of the things we see in CPG don't exist yet in cannabis. And so what's helpful coming from CPG is saying, okay, well, this is something that we do in cannabis. Maybe we can apply it to CPG. So for example, um, when I started with a dispensary operator, uh, you know, we, we had 10 dispensaries in six states. We had 600 plus SKUs in each dispensary. We wanted to slim it down, um, really create a more impactful and, and less confusing experience for patients at retail. 
And so um, I utilized my skills from category management and from consumer trade marketing in order to align uh, the strategy for each of those dispensaries. Is it more complicated? Absolutely. Because, you know, what I purchase in Maryland is not the same thing that I can purchase in Massachusetts or in Illinois. But utilizing some of those same skills and approaching the category in a similar way at least allows you to build a framework for how it how it should look. So, you know, what we did was I took sort of my two by two framework, which is really taking a look at growth and investment and saying, how do we want to prioritize these categories? So, you know, in cannabis, you have flour, you have edibles, you have concentrates, you have vaping products, you have topicals and tinctures. So how do we want to prioritize those across Cross growth drivers, which are your must win categories, rising stars, which are the ones uh, that have tremendous runway for growth, uh, value creators, which are really more of your uh, steady eddies, but they're profitable. And then sort of that other category, which is like low growth, low investment, where you really don't want to invest anything and probably don't even want to engage in it. Um, utilizing that framework to prioritize the categories and then also taking a look at what is the consumer path to purchase in a dispensary? So, you know, in CPG, we have something called a, a market structure or a decision tree. So a market structure is based on correlations of consumer purchase data. And I like it because it really takes a look at how consumers are actually purchasing the category and it uses analytics and statistics to map out that consumer path to purchase. A consumer decision tree is a little different. That's where you, it's a primary research technique where you actually ask consumers. So when you go to the store, what's the first thing you're thinking about? What's the second thing you're thinking about to really sort of map out that customer journey? In cannabis, we really don't have either. Um, so consumer panels are actually getting, starting, starting to develop now, but especially back when I was in, in 2019, it didn't even really exist. So how do you make sure that as you're assorting your dispensaries, that you have a framework in place to make sure you're capturing every aspect so that you don't miss something? And so what I did with my team was I really built that, um, what I called, it was neither a market structure nor a decision tree because there was no consumers and there was no data, but we all sat together and said, well, how, do, how do we see consumers as shopping the category? And we did some research uh, and observation in our dispensaries. And we basically said, the first decision point is, are you recreational versus medical? Well, we're medical. So from there, what's the next decision? And we decided that is, you know, what are you here for? Are you here because you have sleep issues? Because you need to want to improve your mood? You have anxiety, you have pain. What's that key need state? From there, how do you want to solve it? Do you want to use THC, CBD, or a combination of the two? And then from there, how do you want to consume it? Do you want to smoke it? Do you want to eat it? Do you want to use a tincture, a topical? What, what is your preference? And by putting together that framework, we were able to make sure that we could assort all of our stores properly. And um, it allowed us um, a way of viewing it so that we didn't leave anything out. And so utilizing a lot of those things that you learn in CPG in the cannabis industry is incredibly helpful, but also realizing that you don't have the data, you don't have the analytics involved, you don't have all of the resources that you're used to in CPG, and so you need to be a little, it's a little bit more, I always say that cannabis is more art than science. 
CPG is more science than art. And so um, you just have to take what you know from the CPG industry and be flexible with it uh, and be I, I open love, to new ideas and different things. I love that. That, uh, that is articulated so well. What, I mean, those are some major things, but what else did you find most unique uh, in the cannabis industry compared to other industries? I mean, th- and those are some big ones. I'm not discounting them, but I'm just trying to think, if, is there anything else that sticks out? So there, there's a couple different things that stick out to me. One is on the marketing side, you can't do the things you, you could do in CPG. So um, as a marketer in CPG, you could do TV, you could do radio, you could do social and not only social, you could do paid social. You can create your own app. You can uh, do programmatic third-party email. You can do all any type of marketing you want to do because when you sell a regular consumer product like a pasta sauce or a juice or, or any type of uh, product, you're legal in every state of the union and it's not heavily regulated. Um, with cannabis, you're a heavily regulated industry. And even though alcohol also is heavily regulated, alcohol's come a long way and there's still, there's a lot more that you can do with alcohol. With cannabis, no TV, there's really no radio. Uh, you can maybe do some of the satellite radios that are private. Um, you can do out of home, which I love, which are your, your billboards, your metro signs, your furniture, uh, but you can't do that in every jurisdiction. You have to check your, your laws in every single state to see what you can do. Um, with social, um, you're really not supposed to do social and you definitely can't do paid social. So no digital retargeting, no, um, no paid social advertisements, no boosting, none of that. Um, because the, uh, the social network providers uh, shy away from cannabis because it's not federally legal. And even on some of the digital stuff, so the programmatic, your party emails, you gotta be careful as to what you're doing. And you also have to be careful about how you're messaging. And that brings me to my next major difference, which is in CPG, legal is a necessary evil. And in cannabis, they're your best friend. And so the general counsel that I work with at UCG, he's my best friend. Um, He has to look at everything that I do. I need his advice all the time. I need to make sure that I'm holding um, to the right legal and compliance aspects of what I'm doing. Um, my language needs to be written a certain way. Um, he's, I actually consider legal to be part of the marketing team because if they're not, if we're not locked and loaded, the likelihood that I'm gonna say something I shouldn't be saying is pretty high uh, because you can't memorize every law in every state and every state works completely differently than the next state over. And so, having a great legal and compliance person and somebody that can really work with you um, is incredibly important and a huge difference from CPG. Lawyers are incredibly important in CPG, but um, not to the extent that they are in the cannabis industry. Now that's uh, very well put. And you can, I can hear the subject matter expert marketing and branding person. I know you've got a bigger background than that coming through. But you're right on the legal side, what I thought was always interesting, and I, I heard this from a lot of people we, we do business with across the country. I think law firms, when they first started, you know, call it five, six years ago, they took a non-performing associate and said, hey, you're going to be our cannabis you know, person, if they even chose to get into the industry. 
<laughs> and so it wasn't even like a really great, this is just what the feedback people give me. Now this has probably changed. I've actually met some counsel that pretty competent, especially at, uh, at MJ BizCon when I was there, I met a couple of attorneys that seemed very competent, but for many years, it was like the you know less competent attorneys that were willing to take it on. And uh, so I think that's interesting. I think we're, we're, that's, that's one of the big things that's changing is people are getting in uh, the industry um, that aren't necessarily afraid. And that general counsel role for some of these companies, I think is one of the last roles that we, uh, that we haven't seen the, the best general counsels get in the business yet. But, but maybe, and maybe you've seen different, but I think that's coming for sure. Um, well, the one I work with, I think is fantastic, but, um, and a lot of them are coming from the big law firms and, uh, you know, you're starting to see, um, a lot, also a lot of these big law firms starting major cannabis practices. So where it was either, you know, sort of your, your misfit lawyer before somebody who's underperforming. Now you're seeing whole cannabis practices of, you know, very high ranking, uh, attorneys um, who are actually building out their entire business uh, on cannabis. Yeah. And it's so wonderful to see. I mean, when we, and I think this is probably how it was in 2019, but a little bit before that, we used to see with every C-level role, most people were hesitant to get in cannabis because they thought it was going to tarnish their reputation because of, uh, you know, just because of the things that, that uh, just the perceptions that people have had and the perceptions that government and everybody else has uh, put forth, you know, on the cannabis industry prior to what we're doing now. So this is really uh, an interesting uh, time uh, for the cannabis industry. Um, you, you know, you talked about when we were on the phone, and I want to get into this a little bit, because I absolutely loved what we got into, but you talked about people needing to feel safe, supported, and loved, and how you kind of mixed that in when you had the opportunity to, to help brand uh, mission and the mission culture. Um, how did you incorporate in building kind of the love culture at mission, like this, per, this idea that everybody needs to feel safe, supported and loved? So, um, as I said, I had never been a mission based person, no pun intended, uh, until I came into the cannabis industry and it opened up a, a whole part of my personality. I didn't know existed. And, I realized as I was talking to all these dispensary associates that building community in the cannabis industry is incredibly important. So as I sat in dispensaries and I would hear people come in and the front desk person would ask, you know, for their email or their phone number, um, a lot of people were very hesitant about wanting to provide that information. They would say something to the effect of, well, I don't want to give that to you because I don't want my wife to know I'm here. I don't want my friends to know I'm here. And there was so much shame and stigma associated with using cannabis. And for someone to feel ashamed or embarrassed or it gives them anxiety to use it, it won't have the necessary effect on them that could really be beneficial going forward. And so as I, as I started to get into it more, I realized that we really needed to start building a community and helping people not feel so alone in the world. And so that was really how um, we came up with, you know, leading with love. And so when we developed the brand essence for, um, for Mission Dispensary, so I took everybody through sort of that branding exercise. So who's your target consumer? What, how do you build up the pyramid, the positioning statement, the guardrails? all of the, the basics we learn in CPG. 
um, the essence of the brand is really, to me, the most important thing that you can do. And I find that the best essence is really an emotion you want people to feel. Um, because people won't remember what you say to them, but they will remember how you make them feel. And if you make people feel loved, they will remember that and it will have an impact on their lives. And so I wanted everybody who entered our dispensaries to feel safe, supported, and loved. I wanted everybody who worked in our dispensaries to feel safe, supported, and loved. And that is why we developed Leading with Love. And so that was really more of an internal thing that we did. Um, but we wanted to make sure that everybody felt safe and supported experiencing cannabis in the best way possible. And the only way you could do that is by making people feel loved. And everybody can rally around love. Everybody wants to feel loved. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to love others. And so it's a feeling that everybody can rally around. And so we define leading as love as three things. One was um, selflessness. So doing something without the expectation of anything in return. It was having a strong moral code. So doing something even when it's hard. And the third was positivity. And that's approaching everything with positive intent and always acting with positive intent. And so it's really easy when you see, you know, uh, a, like a text or uh, an email that someone sort of shoots off and thinking that they're upset. But if you, if you take a step back and you say, you know what, maybe that person was just doing it quickly or they're having a bad day, um, you can kind of you know, understand where they're coming from. And so we wanted to promote that culture within because the truth is when you're in a brand this small, when you're in the cannabis industry, everybody has to live the brand every day for it really to exist. And so we developed um, a Leading with Love culture platform. And really what that was, was we wanted to make sure that those behaviors were celebrated. And so our first attempt at Leading with Love was building out our social platform. And so, like I said, we were gonna build community. And our social platform was called Wellness Your Way, Live Your Best Life. And we started out with employee stories. And we felt that if people could see some of our employees tell their stories about things that were, you know, what brought them into cannabis and how it's helped them, that maybe they could step back and say, oh, wow, she was able to do that or he was able to do that. Maybe I could do something like that. And it would create that sense of community across everybody. So it was our first Leading with Love initiative. And basically it was doing something without the expectation of anything in return. So we went out to our community and we said, hey, shoot us a video on your phone, nothing fancy, tell us your story. We're gonna pick five people. We're gonna um, basically make you brand ambassadors and we're gonna bring you to Chicago. We're gonna do a whole video and photo shoot and you're gonna be on our social channels. And we had a great amount of people who responded to it. And we were able to pick five and we brought them in and one woman had Crohn's disease, one had cerebral palsy, someone had utilized it for skin treatment. Um, they were all different demographics. Um, they were from all different parts of the country and they all had unique impactful stories. 
And um, everybody kind of got behind the leading with love. And this was sort of their reward for, for participating. And we were able to start building community and creating that loving, supportive culture in all of our dispensaries. Because when you make your people feel safe, supported, and loved, they will make your customers feel safe, supported, and loved as well. God, I love that. And uh, love is the universal language across every across humankind. Uh, so what a great uh, platform uh, to, to build on. Um, that, what an amazing story. I love how you articulated that. And, and uh, just love how that kind of naturally syncs up. There's so many wonderful stories out there uh, that I think once you hear a few, most people, they have personal connections or personal stories of people that they know with those stories, which make it uh, super, super impactful. Uh, but, you know, the way you guys went about that, uh, really amazing. Uh, kind of switching gears a little bit, not much. Um, we talked a little bit. Uh, how has your talk about your personal interest in like CrossFit and health and wellness? How does that play into kind of what you're doing in Canvas? I mean, I'll I'll go first. I mean, for me, uh, fitness is very important. Uh, our company, Y Scouts, we're always one of the healthiest employers. We really encourage each other to to be live, live healthier lives. In fact, at the end of every week. We score ourselves on a scale of one to 10 on a diet and exercise, which is a little bit out there. I don't think I would have done it earlier in my career, but at this point I feel like, Hey, we're all doing it with the best intent to help everybody. Um, so when I think of cannabis for me, and then I'll let you share, but I just wanted to throw it out there as kind of an example. Um, you know, I, I think cannabis has, I, I'm a user, not every day, but for me, I always compare it. I don't know why to like having a couple glasses of wine. I sleep like crap when I drink wine. Well, when I, when I use cannabis, I wake up very fresh. I work out first thing in the morning. So for me, it's kind of helped free me to be able to be okay. And uh, more open, uh, you know, in, in the way I consume or use uh, cannabis, but how do you relate the two? I mean, I know, you know, you talked a little bit about it in our phone call. We, I didn't ask about it then because I was saving it for now. But how, how is that uh, play into kind of the work that you're doing from that kind of health and kind of fitness side? So I've always been a health and wellness person. And so, uh, especially on the exercise front, on the diet front, not as much, but uh, that's more recent. But um, on the exercise front, I've always been very engaged in fitness. So, you know, I went through all the major trends of spin classes and step classes and high-low aerobics. And um, I found CrossFit about eight years ago through actually the same person who brought me into the cannabis industry, which was one of my former leaders. And what I loved about CrossFit is that it was very community building and very empowering for me. So when I started eight years ago, it was not nearly as mainstream as it has become. Um, basically, it was just a bunch of guys in a dirty garage who were just throwing weights around, which was kind of interesting and cool to me. And I kind of wanted to be part of that club. And I felt very accepted at CrossFit. I had great coaches. I was doing things that I didn't even think were possible for me. Um, and I found it to be so empowering. I finally felt strength and what strength could really do for me. Um, that being said, I also experienced injury, a lot of injury. <laughs> and so, um, you know, CrossFit, I won't say it, it's, it's not safe. It, it is pretty safe, but whenever you're dealing with, you know, heavy weights and especially free weights, 
the likelihood that you're going to do something and hurt yourself is, is, can be pretty high. And even with the best coaching, with the best supervision, um, there's only so much they can see. They cannot see the inner workings of your body. And, you know, you pull the wrong way and something goes out and um, you have a really bad few weeks. And so that's kind of happened to me at CrossFit. Um, I was deadlifting one day, not actually at CrossFit, at a different gym, and uh, managed to uh, tweak my back. And then I had never been through any, through pain like that before. And I, I couldn't move. And I didn't know what had happened to me. And for the first time in my life, I was going to a chiropractor. And having been raised by um, a father who worked for the American Medical Association, who did not believe in chiropractors at the time, I, um, I ended up seeing a chiropractor and having him adjust my back. And it took me a few weeks to get back into CrossFit. And this, I have weak SI joints and this tends to happen to me every couple of years. I do something um, that, that tweaks it. And uh, what I found with cannabis was if I, if I utilize it regularly, it allows me the flexibility that I don't normally have in my body to be able to stretch in certain ways to get my back to pop back in or to at least give me um, the, the flexibility I need to move into positions that I normally wouldn't to help my back. It also has cut down on my inflammation and my, and my back pain and my recovery rate is much quicker by utilizing cannabis. And so I have found that it has truly helped me in that way. Um, additionally, like you just said, you know, you have two glasses of wine and you have trouble sleeping. I, I find the same thing and, you know, to ensure that I have a really good night's sleep. So I am more likely to be refreshed and able to work out and, um, and move in the right ways. I have found cannabis has helped me get better sleep, um, wake up more refreshed I don't have a hangover in the morning and I feel like I, I'm ready to, you know, to hit it at the gym. And I'm at the gym before 5 a.m. every day. And cannabis allows me the ability to be able to do that and do it well. And uh, knock on wood, <laughs> I haven't had a, an injury now in uh, over a year. That's awesome. Hey, do you mind sharing? Um how, what, like how you're, uh, taking cannabis, like for, to, for those benefits, I know everybody has, you know, cause I think that's something that not a lot of people, you can read a little bit about it, but even then there's not a lot of you know people that share what works for them, but what has worked for you as far as kind of the combo of, uh, you know, different types of cannabis. Absolutely. So, and it all depends what I'm using it for. So if I'm just using it for everyday use, I, I tend to use an edible at night and it could be anywhere from five milligrams to 10 milligrams. Um, you know, I have found that like, if I want to be really engaged, you know, I go a little lower. And if I, if I need a little bit more, um, for whatever reason, I go a little bit higher. Um, and then if I have things like acute pain, so that might be a back injury. I have found that a tincture, um, or even um, smoking flour um, gives me a, a quicker effect. So when you think about cannabis and you think about um, the different consumption methods that you can utilize, you have to really think about 
the need state that you have, if you're utilizing it for whatever, for a need state and say, if it's something like pain, that can be very acute. You might need um, relief very quickly. An edible is gonna take you 45 minutes to an hour and 15 to feel any effect. If you need quick relief, something like a tincture or smoking flour will give you more immediate relief than, um, than utilizing an edible. And so it'll all depend on what I use it for. Um, but generally speaking, if it's something like pain or even like acute anxiety for whatever reason, I will use a consumption method that has a quicker effect. And if I'm just using it recreationally for relaxation purposes, then an edible would be my choice. Awesome, thanks for sharing. I know uh, we have a lot of these conversations, but rarely do we get into you know these details just so people can go kind of figure out their own path in, in depending on what they need it for. But it is a very personalized thing. But I think the more we share what has worked for us, it gets people on the right track if they haven't tried it already to at least have the right, uh, take it the right way for the right reasons um, and, and those types of things. So um, in your opinion, what do we, uh, you know, we, you and I touched on this a little bit in our, our prior conversation, but what are we still fighting for in the cannabis industry, in your opinion? I know it's a big question, uh, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of great things going on in cannabis. And I think that there are some things that we still have a lot of work to do as you and I got into a little bit, but let's talk about some of those things. What, 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 in your opinion, are some of the big issues or challenges that we all need to be aware of, especially the folks that are involved in commerce and cannabis. But let's start talking about some of the, the things that you see as um, you know, challenges or, or issues that we're still fighting for or making, trying to change. So cannabis is a movement. It's, it's not even an industry. It's, it's truly a movement. We're seeing cannabis come out of prohibition and coming from the liquor industry, you always wondered what that was like. And um, now we're sort of seeing it. And so we're still um, seeking legitimacy. And there's so many out there who, who don't think that cannabis is a legitimate business. They think that we are all stoners sitting on the grassy knoll, we're lazy, we're criminals, we're outlaws. Um, when the truth is that most of us are legitimate professionals who've had other careers, who have come up through the industry, and even those who haven't, um, who started in the industry and may have started in some of those off-grid grows, at the end of the day, we are all still legitimate business people. Um, and we are seeking that, um, that type of legitimacy for our industry. You know, we are another health and wellness product. We are on the medical side. We help people be better. Uh, you know, we say food is medicine. Cannabis is medicine in a lot of ways too. And even more so than, than a lot of food products. And so we need to, we need legitimacy. We need um, the government, we need um, consumers to really start realizing that this is an industry that can really help people, that this is a, this is a, just a, this is another product category and it should, we should be treated as such. Um, you know, there are definitely, you know, limitations to cannabis, but um, we are very much an up and coming nascent industry of true professionals. 
I also think, you know, we're struggling with shame and stigma. Um, that stigma still hasn't gone away. And it's going to be incumbent upon the industry. And we have a responsibility as leaders within the industry to help building, build that community. And the way we can do that and the way we can reduce that shame and stigma is one, by telling our stories and making sure that all of those out there understand why we're in, what it, can do, what it has done for us, what it can do for them. And then the other piece of it is education. And so I have found that most people are ignorant because they don't know and they don't understand. And if we could just be out there educating and making sure that people understand what cannabis is, what it is used for, what's the science behind it? What's the art behind it? What are the different facets of the cannabis industry? How do you use cannabis responsibly and effectively? I think if we could start getting that out there, and again, I think this is a major responsibility of all leaders within the cannabis industry is to make sure that we are educating the general public, we're, we're educating our government leaders and making sure everybody understands what cannabis is, why you would use it, how you would use it, what are some of the risks associated with it, and how do you mitigate those risks? And if we could get that out there, I think a lot more people would become comfortable with cannabis. You know, I've seen, when I started in the industry, um, I had a lot of friends and neighbors who were like, oh my God, I can't believe you're doing that. Why would you do that? You know, are you like, you know, the woman on weeds or are you on, you know, a street corner dealing? And it's because they didn't understand. And those same people are saying, are asking me now, how can I use this for my back pain? Or my, you know, my mother has cancer. How can this help her? Um, and so people are coming around slowly, but the more we educate, the faster that transition will happen. And the more people will feel comfortable utilizing cannabis. And especially for those who it could truly help, people who have epilepsy, who have cancer, who have other medical conditions that could be potentially mitigated by cannabis, um, they should have that opportunity and not feel scared to utilize it responsibly. Yeah, I love that. I mean, let's go back, starting with your statement with cannabis as a movement, 100% agree. In fact, when we started our firm, Y Scouts, we felt like in 2011, 12, when we started, there was a purpose movement. And the way we see what our role is, is bringing purpose-driven leaders to cannabis because we feel like it's two movements just ramming right into each other. The world is seeking more purpose. Leaders are seeking more purpose. And we think, uh, and I'm sure it sounds like you do as well, uh, the cannabis industry you know, can, uh, can help give a lot of purpose uh, to a lot of people. Um, you know, the other thing, I, I, this weekend, the, the just random, but on this same topic, I binged watch Dope Sick, which is the, the story on Netflix about uh, Oxycontin. And the whole entire time I'm sitting there thinking like the, cause it shows kind of what the FDA did and the label they made and kind of what sparked, you know, the kind of the widespread kind of addiction basically to Oxycontin. The whole time I'm sitting there thinking like, I can't believe this drug was able to be pushed that quickly through the U.S. and you know, other places, but focus on the U.S. and the FDA, and cannabis is you know something that's so much you know hundred times better in so many different ways and not as addictive. 
so anyway, I, I watched that this week and it's just kind of sticking at me as you say that just the stigma uh, of cannabis and uh, versus even an, you know, an opioids, which is an obvious you know, area of opportunity for a lot of people to not be addicted to opioids by using cannabis. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, very, very interesting. And I'm, I'm glad you point that out because there is a lot uh, that we need to do stigma wise. I mean, and I know same thing you, I have personal stories where people, you know, still that are close to me still make comments about, you know, you know, just the way they refer to it. Uh, they just give it a bad stigma in my mind. Again, I go to thinking about alcohol uh, and you talk about the alcohol, the prohibition with alcohol. Well, I don't know many stories of where alcohol has really helped many people and, you know, and it's a booming industry. So the opportunity for cannabis to come out of prohibition and, and be a really game changer, which it is, and continue in that, I really like, because, you know, you're comparing it to other industries that didn't even have close to the same advantages, at least in our opinions, um, as cannabis does. So what a, what a wonderful uh, way to, you know, kind of lay it out as far as, you know, kind of the the opportunity uh, that exists. You talk like more uh, strategically getting into some challenges when you and I are on the phone that I want to get into. Okay. Um, I think we talked about like challenges still in um, uh, kind of the drug-free workplace laws in Illinois. And I think we specifically yeah. talked about this. Talk about like some of like maybe that issue because a lot I think a lot of people think like, oh, we're out of the weeds and we're, we're no pun intended, but we're, we're moving, you know, we're making progress. But there's a lot of areas, there's still a lot of sticky points that people have to be careful of and that we all have to be activists to help kind of change. So let's talk about that issue in particular, just because I think it's a good example to get people like ground them and realize that while we've made a lot of progress, there's still a lot of little things that are important that need to be figured out. Absolutely. I think you bring up a great point. And I think it's something that um, everybody needs to think about. Um, so a lot of the cannabis laws were written, you know, states went recreational and consumers generally believe that as a recreational state that um, employers um, could not um, deny you employment for utilizing cannabis or end your employment for utilizing cannabis. Unfortunately, that's not correct. So um, I can speak specifically about Illinois because that's where I am. But in Illinois, um, one of the things that Governor Pritzker said when he, when he came out with the legislation is that employers are still allowed to ensure a drug-free workplace if that is what they choose. They just aren't allowed to discriminate. So what that would mean is that if you and I were both working for the same company or applying for the same company, um, that they couldn't say, well, Lori, you need to be drug tested, but Max, you don't. So they couldn't, they couldn't say that some do, some don't, unless it's based on job, specific job function. So if, for example, if you were going to be a forklift operator that's operating heavy machinery, they could potentially say that those specific jobs could, um, have, have drug related, um, requirements. Whereas like if I was applying in marketing, maybe not as much. Um, however, um, they are allowed to have drug-free workforce, um, and they do not necessarily need to tell you prior to, um, you receiving a drug test that they, they test for marijuana. They can just say that they are doing a drug screen. You could ask the question, but 
by asking the question, you might be putting yourself in a precarious spot. Um, but um, just because you're in a recreational state does not mean that you are able to consume cannabis and receive gainful employment by every company. There are a lot of companies that have taken that away because they believe that if they are in a recreational state that they should treat it like alcohol. You can drink alcohol and still be employed. You just can't do it on the job. Um, and they can say the same things, but you have to very much check your state's uh, regulations because most recreational states, and in fact, I don't know of one that doesn't uh, do this, um, employers are still allowed to deny you employment or terminate your employment due to drug use. Cannabis is still a schedule one drug. And one of the things that we in the industry always have to be aware of is that by state laws, we are acting uh, legal, we are acting legally, but by federal law, this is still federally illegal. We have to be aware of that, cognizant of it, and respect that as an industry to ensure that hopefully one day we will be federally legal. But you have to be very careful about what uh, your state's laws are in terms of employment. And there's a lot of misunderstanding across you know, as we said, across this industry um, in terms of what consumers' perception is, and those are employers as well. And even as I was, you know, working with um, towns when Illinois was going recreational, the, the amount of misinformation that most people have is incredible um, when it comes to cannabis. Um, I heard a woman get up at uh, my village's uh, meeting and say, medical cannabis is pills and recreational cannabis is edibles and joints and vapes. And, and I was like, Hey, nope. <laughs> you know, medical cannabis is a, a consumer designation, not a product designation. Um, and we would hear things like, you know, you, you know, that dispensary is going to be too close to a daycare, too close to a school. And, you know, I understand some of the issues associated with that, but we as a, an industry are incredibly careful about who we allow into our dispensaries and um, we are, um, we check IDs multiple times and, and there's a lot of um, a process that a person has to go through to purchase cannabis. And so um, it's important for everybody to know that on all sides of this issue, there are things legally that you need to think about as you consider cannabis, either for personal use or whether your village is consuming, uh, uh, considering opting in. Um, there are things that need to be considered on all fronts. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think, and I'm, I, we're preaching the choir here, but I think these places that don't want it near their daycares or near whatever it might be or schools. The truth is that it's being sold in an illicit market, probably right there in a less safe way, in a less regulated way. Uh, but again, we're, I'm preaching to the choir and I know this is, uh, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, we used to hear a lot about, well, I don't want someone driving through our town high. And one of the things that, you know, we nobody wants that. Nobody should be under the influence while operating a motor vehicle, uh, whether that be alcohol or cannabis. But the truth is just because your town doesn't allow it, the town net one over does. And that was one of the things that the village board said was, well, the town next door does. So people are gonna drive through our town to go there. 
you know, you're not going to be able to stop that. And when it comes to, you know, schools and daycare, I'm a mom of three. <laughs> I have three kids. I have two kids who are um, preschool and um, kindergarten, and I have an eighth grader. And so I deal with it from all ends of the spectrum. And I understand not wanting, you know, my 13 year olds walk into a dispensary. I also know that if my child was in a daycare near the dispensary, that they're not going to be allowed in, just like they would not be allowed to go into a 7-Eleven and purchase alcohol. <laughs> so, um, you know, there are things that we need to consider. There are things we need to always be aware of. Um, this is an industry that is forever changing. And um, one of the things someone said to me when I got into this industry, they said, whatever we do now, is is going to be you know affect the industry you know 30 years from now 100 years from now so don't screw it up and that's what we all have to think about we all we all have to do the right things all the time in this industry to ensure that we get the legitimacy that we we so need and that this can be um, an industry that can truly impact the world and help people live better lives 100 percent. i had uh Andrew D'Angelo as a guest. And, you know, he said something very similar that rings through true to me. And, and, you know, obviously similar to what you said, it's like, we, we don't want this to be another alcohol industry. Like we want to make something more of it. I mean, not miss our opportunity to make it much more of a movement and leave a much bigger impact than alcohol and tobacco. Obviously it's set up much better in our opinion to do so. Uh, so that's uh, very important. What do you expect? Uh, and and I asked most everybody this that you 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 know very smart business person. You've seen a lot in CPG even before cannabis. But what do you expect the cannabis cannabis industry to look like in five years? You know that's a great question, and I don't think any of us have the answer. I mean, my hope would be we'll see federal legalization. Um, you know, this industry is incredibly fast moving. Um, even in the past two years that I've been in this industry, I have seen dramatic change in how it's viewed, how it's marketed, how accepting legislators are of it, how accepting consumers are of it. And I've seen a lot of studies out there that have said that consumers are ready for federal legalization, um, that they're they're feeling more comfortable with the category that they're embracing it more. And so my hope would be in five years, we would see federal legalization. In the event that happens, I think it's gonna look very much like the liquor industry. And so, you know, I love the liquor industry as well. I think that is a, a wonderful group of people. I think those companies do a, a lovely job of ensuring that, um, they have the right warning labels out there, that they do the right things as well. Um, but what you see in the liquor industry is you see um, the still very much state-run operations. So you might have big companies like Beam Suntory, uh, like Diageo, like Brown Foreman, um, who scale nationally and they're able to ship across state lines and all of those things. But when you look at the laws in each of those of the states they operate in, you have open markets, you have franchise markets, and you have control state markets. And 
Open markets tend to operate similarly to each other, but not completely. And every state has different nuanced laws. So in an open market, you can choose your own distributor. If you don't like that distributor, you can fire that distributor and find another distributor. Um, in a franchise market, um, a distributor essentially owns your brands, depending on where you are. So certain states, they might own some of your brands, but not all your brands. Um, in other states, it might be that, you know, like, like for example, for in Georgia, um, a distributor can have your brands in Atlanta, but not Savannah. And so um, th there's a lot of different nuances to those franchise markets. And in those, in those instances, you can't fire a distributor. They'd have to be trading out your brands. And there's a lot of different things that you as a major liquor company have to deal with. And then there's also control markets, which are state-run markets. And some of those operate differently from each other as well. Some of them require ABC stores, which are state-run stores. Some, uh, they're so regulated by the state and owned by the state, but they'll allow you to distribute liquor into regular mainline grocery or liquor stores. And so the reason I, I go into that is that the liquor industry is still very fragmented and we're over hundred years later and we're still very fragmented. And so um, in that aspect, and so I think cannabis is going to look very much the same way. You're gonna have to think nationally, but act locally. And so whether it's, I guess, whether it's federally legal or not, these, this local operation is still going to have to exist. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, when it comes to hiring, because that's the world that we most live in, we hire C-level folks in the cannabis industry, but what types of leaders have you seen that um, uh, make the, like the best impact in such an emerging industry? I think the best leaders you're going to see are ones who put their ego at the door and put a lot of what they they've experienced at the door and realize that they are walking into a completely new industry, an entirely different animal and being able to be flexible and agile and go with the flow. And so um, leaders who are um, able to kind of embrace that ambiguity embrace um, the constant change and churn that we all feel every single day uh, that you don't necessarily feel in CPG um, are going to be much more successful. And I think leaders who are flexible with their employees, who love their employees and really can create warm, engaging environments for them are gonna be truly most successful in, in leading their businesses. Because when people join you, and I always say join you instead of follow you because I don't want people to follow me, I want them to join me. It's because they believe what I believe. And so leaders who can Im impact people that way will be most successful in this industry. Love it, thank you for sharing. And then what are the, are there any lessons that you've learned as it relates to hiring uh, for folks in the cannabis industry? So one, I would make sure people are okay with the cannabis industry. And it's funny because you'd think they would be, <laughs> but um, when I was in college, um, uh, Philip Morris used to recruit out of my business fraternity. And the first year they came, they were telling us all about how great it was to work for Philip Morris, that we'd all get free cigarettes, 
as much as we wanted. And, um, and that life at Philip Morris was great. And I'm sure life at Philip Morris is great for those who love it. The second year they came, the guy said to us, if you don't like, if you have an issue with cigarettes, don't come work for us. If you um, are against smoking, don't come work for us because we, that is what we do. That is who we are. And so you have to be on board with what you're selling and what you're doing. And it doesn't matter whether you're in marketing, whether you're in sales, whether you're in finance or operations, you still need to be okay with the product. Do you need to be a user? I would say absolutely not, but you have to be okay with it. You have to be okay with others using because that is, that is what the industry is. So first and foremost, I would always make sure that anybody who comes in is 100% on board with cannabis, not necessarily for their own consumption, but that they're on board with others using it. And I wouldn't take anybody who's lukewarm on it because um, they, will they will be personally conflicted and you don't want someone to be personally conflicted. You want them to be all in. Two, I would, um, I would look for skills um, and for people who are from entrepreneurial environments because with cannabis, it's still a very nascent industry and so um, there's a lot of ambiguity all the time. And so people who are coming from big companies, they can definitely succeed if they are more entrepreneurial, uh, more of an entrepreneurial spirit. But I would say that in big companies, you have lots of support. You're kind of that cog in the wheel. You come in and do a job. If you're someone who likes to come in and do a job, the cannabis industry might not be for you. You have to be someone who wants to come in and create a job and make a job your own because most of the cannabis companies, even the big MSOs are startups. And so they don't know what they don't know. And so there's a lot of opportunity here to kind of make the job you want, but you have to be the kind of person who likes to create the job. And so I always say, look for entrepreneurial people who have the right skills. And then make sure you have a diverse range of backgrounds, ethnicities, gender, all of that. Because in this industry, you have to hit so many different demographics um, that by having those perspectives on your team, you'll be able to create that holistic experience that welcomes everybody. I love that. I love that. And e even the stuff that we or the industry does know it could all change very, very quickly. So it <laughs> changes every day. Don't know, but even that could change quickly. So I think that's really sage advice uh, and, and very well put. Um, you know, getting into kind of, we'll start kind of wrapping up here. I could talk to you for probably six hours easily because uh, you've been so great. But personally, what are some personal habits? You talked a little bit about them, but personal habits, routines that you have that have helped craft you into like an effective mother, professional, like all those things? I would say work-life integration. You know, we've heard throughout the years, work-life balance. So what that, what that says to me is I have my work and I have my life and I have to balance the two. And so I might need to work and then I'm going to cut myself off and I'm going to spend my time with my family. 
That's just not the way life works. And it's definitely not the way this industry works. I have found that I get emails from, from people in this industry at 4 a.m. And I get them as late as, you know, 11 or 12. And so you, you kind of have to think about work-life integration and the difference between work-life balance and integration. Like I said, with balance, it's about I'm doing my job and I'm ending. Work-life integration, it's I'm going to work for a couple hours and then I'm going to take my daughter to the doctor. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to work some more and I'm going to run my, my son to karate. And, you know, if I have to work in the evenings, I'm going to do that. If I have to work on the weekends and, you know, in between soccer games, that's what I'm going to do. And so it's about making sure that you can handle everything and you can juggle it, but it's all about making sure you integrate everything into your life. And so what I love about this industry is it allows for that. So a lot of us are parents, a lot of us are trying to juggle a whole bunch of, of different things and being able to say, you know what, my kid has a, an appointment, so I'm gonna go do that at 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, but you know, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get the job done um, is really important. And having leaders in an industry who, who live by that as well is, is really helpful. And I have found that this industry allows for that. And so I have found that integrating my, my work and family life really hasn't you know, been a problem. Is it stressful at times? Absolutely. <laughs> and sometimes there's too much work and I don't know how I'm gonna get it all done um, or too many family things. And I don't know how I'm gonna, I'm gonna manage those, but by having the flexibility to do what I need to do when I need to do it, um, it, it makes such a difference in my life. And, you know, one of the things I said in a video I did for social media permission was they say that um, women can have it all, but they can't have it all at the same time. And I disagree. I, I would have agreed with that a few years ago, but I disagree with it now because I have an amazing family. I am a mom of three. I have an amazingly supportive spouse and I have the career that I have dreamed about. And I feel like at this moment in time, I am fortunate enough and to have it all. And so I think this is an industry where as a working mom, you can do it all. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful and very humbled. Oh man, I love that. I think uh, what a great piece of content too that just came to mind. But uh, I think COVID obviously sped up the work-life integration. People didn't know what that meant until yep. they, you know, worked from home and got had the opportunity to integrate, you know, their life kind of, you know, in and out of sitting at a desk, getting stuff done to dropping kids off to picking up. I have five kids, so this really resonates with me when you <laughs> talk about it. So I do know, uh, I, I, and you're absolutely right. I'm not a huge fan of work-life balance. I think if you're having that conversation, you're probably not doing something you enjoy enough that yeah. even has a place for your life, but we could, uh, you're kind of preaching to the choir. Tell me about, um, this is just a question that I, I've found is interesting to people. What, have, what were some COVID-19 blessings that you had? I mean, clearly it, it was affected everybody's life. Now we're all the way through it. And now it's fun to look back and say, hey, what did it teach you? What did it enable you to do in your life 
uh, that you would look back and say that you're blessed for uh, COVID-19. I know it's obviously not a blessing, you know, in some, for a lot of reasons, obviously for a lot of deaths and sicknesses, but there's a lot of people that came to, to conclusions or uh, got to um, uncover things. What were some things that you uncovered uh, as far as blessings? So I had always um, had regular W-2 income. I had always been chasing that next full-time job. I had, you know, I would, before I would leave any job, I was always interviewing, having my resume out there, talking to companies, doing whatever it took to get that W-2 job. That's how I was raised. My father worked for the same organization for 30 years, my mom 25. And so, you know, I was always brought up that you need to have a stable job. And over COVID, COVID, I mean, I, I guess would say blew up my sense of security. All these things I thought I knew, I don't know. <laughs> like trying to talk to my kids about what was going to happen next. They're like, well, what's going to happen? I'm like, I don't know. I've never been through this before. <laughs> and it kind of threw my whole life into a, a tailspin. And I, everything I thought I knew was either wrong or, or not relevant anymore. But it allowed me the time to kind of sit back and, and, and try different things. And so that's what got me to start my consulting business. And it got my husband to even look at me and say, you know what, you should just go out on your own and, and see what you can do. And at first when he said it, I was so scared. I was like, I don't know how to do this. You know, every time I thought about going out on my own, I was like, I don't know, I hit this wall. And COVID allowed me to break through that wall because there was nothing stable anymore. We had 10% unemployment and in some states, even more than that. And there were, you know, there weren't enough jobs to go around. So I was able to kind of think about it in a different way and make my own world. And I got to tell you, I have never been so happy in my life. I mean, not even happy. I am joyful. Like I have this inner joy um, where I feel like I'm in control of my world and maybe sometimes I'm not, but, um, but I'm able to do the things I love to do. I'm able to do things when I want to do them and how I want to do them because I am my own boss. And, um, and sometimes I say, you know, my boss is, you know, a real jerk, but it's me. <laughs> and um, I get to live life on my own terms. And um, COVID allowed me the platform and the opportunity to really do that. And I've, I'm grateful for that. Additionally, I got to spend time with my kids that I never thought I would have. And, and even my husband too, you know, we were all home in the house together and I got to know my kids really well. I got to be a bigger part of their lives and with my spouse, we, you know, we got to learn how to work together in the same home and bounce things off of each other and, and work almost more as a team than we ever had before. And so as much as COVID was horrible for so many people and for all of those people who lost relatives and friends, um, I, I feel so horrible um, about that. For me, it was life-changing. And at the time I thought it was terrible, but now as I look back, I say, 
getting that opportunity to slow down, to take inventory, to, to think about things differently and maybe take a risk I normally wouldn't have taken um, was game changing for me. Awesome. No, that's great. I love hearing stories like that. It gives people a lot of hope. Uh, and uh, I appreciate you sharing. Uh, you know, we're going to start wrapping up. I'm, I do want to ask uh, maybe uh, one other question, just because because of what you just said, you're so, you know, everything has, has been, uh, you're so excited about what's going. What is the thing that you're most excited about now in your career? What is the, like the one thing that you're really looking forward to or milestone that you're really looking forward to? Or like, what are you most, pa- what specific project are you most passionate about uh, in your career at this point? Uh, there's so much, I don't even know where to begin um, because everything I do, I just absolutely love. Um, um, I love being out there and educating and speaking for the community and being a thought leader for the cannabis industry. And so as part of you know my own consulting practice, I'm out there with Illinois Women in Cannabis, helping them with their harvest event. In fact, I'm, I'm speaking for them this week. I'm speaking for the Cannabis Beverage Expo next week. Um, I speak at Cannabis Conference, which is done through Cannabis Business Times, and I'm on their advisory board, and I, I mentor for Illinois Women in Cannabis and help um, younger women in the industry um, or less experienced women in the industry um, learn about it and hopefully invite them in and give them opportunities to grow. And so um, just being that thought leader, being someone out there who wants to help others is really what I am most passionate about. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. Well, I'm going to start wrapping it up. How do people get a hold of you? What's the best way to get a hold of you? I mean, obviously you're uh, a beyond a subject matter expert uh, in cannabis and, and your consulting firm can help in a lot of ways, but what's, how can everybody get a hold of you that's listening? So connect with me on LinkedIn, always the greatest way to get a hold of me, or email me at Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E, Parfit, P-A-R-F-I-T-T-1 at gmail.com. That's all one word, no period in it. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions you have, um, talk to you about any issues. I want to make sure that everybody um, is as educated and knowledgeable as they possibly can be in the industry. So reach out to me at any time for anything. Awesome. Well, you've been amazing. You're listening to the Built on Purpose podcast with Max Hansen, brought to you by Y Scouts. You can find all of our past and future podcasts at yscouts.com. Lori, I'm going to give you the last word. Uh, what word of advice or what, what advice would you give our audience to help them excel both personally and professionally in their life? I would say approach everything with positive intent and be that light that everybody wants to be around. Because if you can be that person and you can project that light and that love, you'll be successful in anything that you do. Thanks for listening to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. You can hear any of our previous shows 24-7 right here on Star Worldwide Networks or wherever you get your podcasts.